You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. Okay, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Everybody doing well today? All right. I see some uh, very familiar faces as well, and that we also see, I also see some, um, some new faces. Uh, we want to welcome you here to Victory Church of the Bay Area. Um, again, as, um, as, as uh, Jam, uh, sorry, Janine already mentioned, we're here to honor God and to make disciples. And, and we pray that, um, you know, if it's your first time here, we pray that you would encounter God's presence and His love in a new and living way. Um, through his presence here and through um, uh, through his people and um, also that you would also um, learn more about the Lord Jesus Christ so that your life will be transformed okay so we're glad that you're here this morning and we hope this won't be uh, your last uh, time with us Um, we are continuing our series entitled moving forward and uh, we're talking about discipleship here growing through discipleship and um, you know, being in church is not just about, you know, attending the services or, or being active. It's really about becoming more like Jesus Christ through discipleship. And, and Jesus wants us to grow, you know. And uh, when we come to faith in Christ, um, we are like spiritual babes. Um, and Jesus himself said that uh, when we put our faith in him, we become born again. So by the Spirit. And once we are born again, we are... You know, you're like a spiritual infant, but we don't remain as spiritual infants. He wants us to grow, to become mature believers, okay, mature disciples. And when we become mature, we become like him. We reflect who he is. And then when, uh, when we follow him through discipleship, when people see us, they see Jesus in us, okay? And so that's God's goal for us, is, so th- is for us to grow in our walk with him so that we can reflect him. And that's what Moving Forward is all about. And uh, this is a nine-week series. Uh, we are on the second one. So this is basically just an overview of everything that we're going to be talking about here. We are on our second topic here. And uh, um, these are, in this series, we are going to be looking at different places in, 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 uh, in the New Testament um, to look at what the Bible says about discipleship, how we can grow in our discipleship. Um, and um, we wa- at the end of this series, hopefully as we go through this, we will come to a greater understanding and a deeper appreciation of, of what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be his disciple. Okay, last week we talked about um, disciples having spiritual disciplines. And today we're going to talk about disciples um, having essential doctrines. Um, you know, basically understanding what the essential doctrine is about and and now this sermon series is quite different from the 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 previous sermons that we've been um having because this is more instructional this is more teaching because we're we're camping on the topic of discipleship because that's what we are about okay our church is about honoring god and making disciples and for us to make disciples we need to be disciples of jesus christ okay so now with that uh, i would like for us to Stand up, and uh, we're going to read God's Word this morning. Um, if, if you have your Bibles with you, open it to First Timothy chapter 4. 
This time, I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. Okay, so <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It says there, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it brings transformation to our lives. We thank you that your word uh, opens our hearts and our minds and our eyes so that we may see you and understand uh, more and more who you are and what you want us to do. And uh, Lord, I pray that as we talk about, talk about uh, the importance of, um, of having the right doctrine and the right theology um, in our lives so that will help us become um, become the disciples you've called us to be. But I pray for your spirit to be, um, to be speaking your word to us, Lord, that we may be transformed by it. Lord, we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have your seats. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> so it says here, basically this is the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy, uh, the young pastor of the Ephesian church um, at this time. And, um, and Paul had wanted to go back to Ephesus, but apparently he realized that he may not be coming back for, for some time. And so, or maybe perhaps he wouldn't be you know, going back there at all. So he, he wrote this letter to Timothy. Timothy was, he called Timothy his son in the faith. Uh, he, you know, he was... Um, he was uh, a young child that grew up in the Word of God, understanding the Word, and then he grew up knowing this Word. And so at a young age, he became the, you know, the leader of the, uh, the church in Ephesus. Okay? So, but here, Paul said, be diligent in these matters. So he was referring to uh, things that he mentioned previously. Okay? So, uh, but for time's sake, we didn't, we didn't uh, just read all of those. But let me just give you... Let, let me give you a run through the whole book of uh, First Timothy, the whole chapter, uh, letter of First Timothy. This is Paul's first letter to Timothy. Is basically um, telling Timothy to address the false teaching, the false teaching that's uh, that's becoming prevalent in um, in Ephesus, especially in the, in the uh, Ephesian church. Um, you know, there had been uh, false teachers that had been speaking things that are causing people to be to be confused um, and to uh, to be to deviate from uh, from the gospel, and so Paul said, address these things. So so basically, Paul uh, was admonishing uh, Timothy and encouraging him to to refute the false teachings by teaching and preaching the true gospel, telling people what the gospel is, teaching them about it, and preaching the word of God. Secondly, uh, Paul said uh, in verses 7 and 8, okay, and he said to Timothy uh, to train yourself for godliness. Train yourself to be godly. Okay? Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So godliness has value for this life and for all eternity. And so Paul was telling Timothy, 
you know, train yourself to be godly, okay? Live a life of godliness. Train yourself. It's like going to the gym, but here it's in the spirit, okay? And then, so basically he said, train yourself for godliness. Next, in, uh, in verses 12, 14, we will see that uh, Paul was telling Timothy to be an example to the church, to be an example to the believers. He said there, let no one despise you for your youth. Remember, Timothy was a young person at this time. So, and many times, especially in that culture, um, young people were not taken that seriously by elder states, by, elder, by older people, okay? Uh, but Paul was telling Timothy, you've got the anointing of God, and you grew up in, you have the wisdom of God, you grew up uh, uh, um, in God's word, so don't let anyone despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example, okay? Set an example for every believer in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Be an example to everybody. So as a leader, he was telling, he, uh, he was, uh, telling Timothy, who was the leader of this church, to be an example for everyone, okay? And then in, in verses, uh, and it continues in verse 13, until I come, devote, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So basically, Paul was giving him other instructions on what to do, okay, until I come. And then, basically, he wanted Timothy to discharge the duties of his ministry, to preach, to exhort, to teach. And um, in verses 13, okay, so to discharge of the duties of his ministry. So those are some of the... Th- those are the things that Paul spoke of when he said, okay, when, um, I'm sorry. Could we go back to First Timothy, our main verse? Sorry, let me read it from here. Too. There you go. So, so these are the words that Paul said, be diligent in these matters. Uh, this is the NIV. Um, I think in the ESV, I didn't bring my ESV Bible, I brought my, my NIV. It says there, be, um, uh, practice, practice these, mat- these things. Practice, okay? And um, be diligent. So verses 15 through 16, let's, let me see. Okay. We have, we have a new monitor here, a bigger one. And we have a new uh, clicker, so I, I'm excited because uh, our last ones have, our last monitor is too small, and our last clicker was dying on us already. So, <laughs> so going back to First Timothy 4:15, it says there, "Be diligent in these matters; give yourself wholly to them." So, these uh, phrases actually speak of um, practice. When you practice, that means you repeatedly do it, right? That's why, how many of you watch the NBA? How many of you are rooting for the Warriors? How many of you can be like Steph Curry or in your dreams? <laughs> you see, he makes all that sh- those shots because he practices. And practice makes permanent, not perfect. Okay, practice makes permanent. If you keep practicing, it will become permanent. It will become a part of you. Okay, um, yesterday I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, um, I was with my son, my oldest son Josh, 
uh, in the morning in a parking lot in, in one of the malls here. And we were, I was teaching him how to drive, so he was practicing his, his, uh, his, uh, his driving skills, the little driving skills he had. <laughs> but he's, uh, you, know, we, you know, we were going around, he's already driving the, the van. So the re- repetitive, um, you know, when you keep doing things over and over, it becomes part of you. Like when, with you, when you drive, it's second nature to you, right? Some of you, those of you who drive, you don't really think about, okay, what am I going to do next? Um, do, I, do I signal? So you don't, sometimes you're just thinking of other things and things, you, you, you drive instinctively because you've done it so many times. It became permanent, okay? It's like riding a bike. I haven't ridden a bike in, 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 in decades, but there was a time I, I had an opportunity to ride, I think, one, Dennis's bike when, during, one of our, during one of our picnics. And it's as if um, I just, the last time I, it was like riding the bike yesterday. You know, it's just like that. So practice makes permanent. So here, be diligent, give yourself wholly to them means to practice, to cultivate. When you cultivate, it means you, you prepare it, you take care of it with the expectation that you will reap something from it. Okay, Cultivate, and then you continue to do. That's what these phrases actually mean. So the things that we talked about. Continue, you know, practice them, preach them, cultivate them in your life, continue to do so. And then, in the same verse, another word that I want to highlight is this word progress. Be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Basically, he, just, he was just saying that everyone would see your growth. So, in, the, in, this, in, these, in this passage, in this verse, Paul was encouraging Timothy to you know, continue to do things so that it will benefit him. It will, it, it will cause him to grow spiritually. And how many of you know, he was already the leader of the church and Paul was encouraging him to commit to spiritual growth. How many of you would appreciate your, your pastor still committed to spiritual growth, right? See, the position does not make you holy. It, it, you know, it's, it's your relationship with God. You, you have to connect with God. I have to connect with God on a daily basis. Because I am still growing in my relationship with him. So the progress that Paul was speaking of here was, was actually, you know, his, uh, Timothy's spiritual growth. How many of you want to grow spiritually? Okay. Um, you don't want to stay, stay small, right? You want to grow. You want to you be all that God has, has called you to be. Okay. And that's part of it is developing yourself. You know, commit yourself to, to develop in the things of God. So basically, <clears throat> so basically that's, that's what he was saying there in, in verse 15. In verse 16, he says there, watch your life and doctrine closely. Okay, watch your life and doctrine closely. Basically, it's Paul encouraging Timothy Make sure that as you lead and as you grow, that your life is walking consistently uh, with the doctrines that you're growing in. You know, that you grow in your doctrine, that you guard, guard the teaching about, about Christ. You guard the pattern, you guard the truths about, about Jesus Christ. You guard the truths of the gospel, you know, and be faithful to it. Guard it, watch it, and watch your life. So that you won't slip away. Okay? So basically, 
How many of you have heard this, this phrase, um, um, you must practice what you preach, right? A lot of people believe in certain doctrines and then they live out their, their lives differently, okay? Um, but here, the, the messenger, the power of the messenger is in his message and the message is not just in the words he says that comes from what he believes, but it's also in how he lives his life according to what he believes according to the truth of the gospel so we are he was encouraging timothy to guard his life to guard his holy living and grow in it guard his guard the truth don't let false teaching enter into your life and and you know and and cause you to deviate from the truth guard it okay watch your life and doctrine closely so Basically, when we're talking about watching, watching your life and your doctrine, um, when you talk about doctrine, some people get intimidated by this term, doctrine. Or, and some of you, some people get religious. All of a sudden, they put on their religious mode. Oh, doctrine. Um, they think of theology. Of course, theology is part of it. Um, and uh, let me say this. All of us are theologians. Look at the person next to you. That is a theologian. What? Yes, all of us are theologians. It's just a matter of, are we good or bad theologians? <laughs> Some of us couldn't care less, but that's your theology. You see, theology is basically the study of, of God and everything about God. And, um, you know, uh, the, for formulating a belief system based on your belief in God or disbelief. So even atheists have a theology. Their theology, atheists say there's no God. Okay? And that is basically their understanding of God. And that is what theology is. And so we need to have the proper theology. We need to have the right theology. Okay? And um, that's why it's important. We just don't um, get our theology from 7-Eleven. You know, um, we base our theology on, you know, Christian stickers. Let's get them straight from, from God and from, from men of God who preach God's word uh, with faithfulness, okay? And uh, so, we're talking about uh, the doctrine, uh, you know, guarding your doctrine closely. And, and um, there are many doctrines out there and not all doctrines are true. There are false doctrines, right? Um, there are doctrines that are destructive. Um, that's why there are cults. You know, the, um, I don't know. You, you, there are cults that uh, they believe they have a certain belief system that that uh, that comes from one person, and uh, whatever that one person, their leader says, that's how it goes. Okay, and it's, sometimes it's, it's destructive to the point that um, m many decades ago, there was, a, uh, there was a group, a religious cult, that actually committed suicide because their leader said so. How many of you older folks, those of you my age, you can remember that, right? So um, it's important that we are grounded on the truth, on doctrines that are grounded on God's word, okay? So... 
there are many doctrines out there and there are doctrines of Christianity. There are many doctrines in Christianity, okay? The doctrine of salvation, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity, the, do, the you know, doc, doctrine of justification. Um, we, if you want to get into more, more uh, highfalutin terms, you know, soteriology, ecclesiology, those, those things. But don't be intimidated by those things. My, my, what I want to focus on today for all of us is to, for us to zero in on the essential doctrine. What is, that's my question today, what is the essential doctrine of Christianity? There are many doctrines in Christianity, but what is the essential? If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, it is important that you get this, right? For you to, to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to get this. You need to understand this. Because if you don't understand this, it's going to be hard for you to follow Jesus. And it's going to be hard for you to become his disciple if you don't understand this essential doctrine. Actually, the, what we're going to be talking about, about today is a, the doctrine that all the other doctrines are hinged upon. Okay, without this doctrine, everything else will fail. Do you understand? Does that make sense? So it's like a hub. And without this, everything else will be useless. Okay, so what is the essential doctrine of Christianity? Let's look at that. <clears throat> Paul gives us insight in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So let's go ahead and look at that. <clears throat> Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15 verses uh, 1 through 3. I don't know why. Okay, there you go. Sorry about that. For some reason, there's two there and there's two there. This is supposed to be one. Okay, this is verse 1. So it says, Paul said here in Corinthians, um, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Everybody say gospel. Okay, we all know the, the, what the gospel is. The gospel it means good news. Okay, the good news of Jesus Christ. So what the, we'll, we'll un, Paul will unpack that later. So I would like to, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you on which you received. So the gospel is the good news that is meant to be received. Not a lot of people receive the good news though. Not a lot of people receive it. A, lot of, a good number of people reject the good news. They reject the gospel. They reject the claims of the gospel to their detriment. Okay? But it has to be received. So Paul was telling him, I'm, I'm reminding you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. So it is preached. The gospel is supposed to be preached. And it is supposed to be received by those who hear the, the gospel. And here he says, in which, okay, you stand. You make your firm stand. We stand by the gospel. It is by the gospel that we make our stand as believers. It is by the gospel that we stand. We have a life that is standing on the rock, standing on the truth of Christ, okay? We are standing, when you, are, when you receive the gospel, when you believe in Jesus, when you believe the gospel, you are standing on solid ground. You're so standing on solid rock. That's why there's an old song, an old hymn that goes, On Christ, the solid rock I stand. What's the next line? All other ground 
is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock. So the gospel is to be preached, to be received, and when you receive it, you stand on it. That is the only firm foundation you are to stand on. Okay? And by which you are being saved. So this gospel actually is saving you if you believe in it and you're standing by it. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you. So Paul was giving a qualifier here. See, a lot of people hear the gospel, but they don't receive it. And they don't hold fast to it. So when you receive the gospel, you have okay, um, to hold fast to the word that was preached to you. Unless you believe in vain. And then he says in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance. So this is first priority. Of, and Paul was a, a teacher. I mean, most of the, old, of the New Testament, most of the New Testament uh, were epistles written by Paul. And he taught a lot of things here. M- much of our theology that we get from the New Testament are Paulinian, are Pauline, okay, in nature. So they came from the Apostle Paul. And he taught a lot of things that, are, that God revealed to him that he communicated to the churches. But... Of all those things he said, if there's one thing I want you to come, you know, if there's one essential thing, this is it. This is of first priority. This is of first importance. For I delivered to you of first importance the gospel. So what is the gospel according to Paul? Okay. And we're going to look at it in the next few verses. But here he said, what is the gospel? First in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So Paul also received the gospel. Okay? And here is the gospel according to St. Paul. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. You know what that means? That means Christ's death was not accidental. It was not, um, you know, just something that happened to him. Uh, that God didn't plan. It was actually written in the scriptures that this is going to happen because it was part of God's divine plan of redemption. Okay? That Jesus, the Christ, would die for our sins. And that, by doing so, He is fulfilling His role as our Savior. Okay? He paid for the penalty of our sins. He died for our sins. He paid our debt. He paid our penalty. That if you put your faith in Him, you no longer have to pay the penalty. Right? But if you reject what He's done for you, even if He's, he's already paid for it, then you're going to have to pay for it by, uh, you know, yourself. So there is still an outstanding debt. So here, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. For in accordance with the scriptures, verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In accordance with the old what we know as the Old Testament. During their time, there was no New Testament yet. It was still being written. Paul, he, Paul was writing this letter. 
He did not think, oh, this is going to be part of the New Testament. No. It wasn't until year, a few hundred years later that the entire Bible, the canon of Scripture, was finalized. Okay? So their Scripture during this time is what we know as the Old Testament. And the Old Testament prophesied about Jesus' death and His resurrection. And He was raised on the third day. As a matter of fact, Jesus was telling His disciples... And I'm going you know, to be handed over to, uh, to the religious leaders and I'm going to suffer in their hands and I'm going to die. But on the third day, you know, I will rise again. He was telling his disciples what was going to happen. It, and the, the scriptures actually spoke about that. Because that was part of God's plan to redeem humanity from their, from their sins. So, that, so the, what's the gospel? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then here's what happened. And that he appeared to Kephas. Okay, that's, that's how they say it. Or may, I'm, I'm even mispronouncing it probably. This means Peter. Okay. That he appeared to Kephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. This is after his resurrection. He appeared to more than 500 of his disciples to show that he was alive. And then he appeared, uh, and, and, uh, sorry, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is a nice way of saying they died. Okay? They have fallen asleep. In verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is Paul saying, remember the story, when Paul was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church, the Lord Jesus appeared to him on the way to Damascus. And the Lord Jesus, you know, in his glorified state, blinded Paul. He was blind for a few days. And then he, and then he was and then he, he, he repented of his sin. He, he heard the gospel. And Ananias was sent by Jesus to heal him and to speak God's word to him. And there he became a believer. Okay? So Jesus himself appeared. The risen Christ appeared to Paul. Though he was not one. He was named Saul before. He was not one of the original disciples. But nevertheless, God called him. To be the, his apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. Now, as we look at this, <clears throat> as we look at this, now let's look at look further into the in this chapter, First Corinthians fifteen, and see. See, Jesus died for our sins. And then he resurrected from the dead. You see, if he just merely died for our sins, but he did, if he did not resurrect, then salvation would not take effect. Because a dead person can't save us. A dead person cannot transform our hearts. A dead person cannot change our lives. A dead person cannot do anything to us. Okay? And that's why the resurrection of Jesus 
is the very central theme of Christianity. Those, the, the non-Christians ridicule Christians because we believe in a guy who died and who rose again. And to them, that's ridiculous. Nobody rises again from the dead. That is impossible. Okay? And that is what we are, you know, Christians are being mocked by, by those who don't believe in, in, in Jesus' resurrection. And here, the resurrection is what makes Christianity unique. Let's look at what Paul said about the resurrection. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Another translation says this, our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. If Christ was not raised from the dead, if he remained dead, then what we're preaching to you is nonsense. And you're, if you believe what we preach, then you're, you, you, what you believe is futile. It's useless. Because it can't do anything for you. If there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom he did, if, if at all, he, if he, in actuality, there is no resurrection from the dead. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He continues, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who believed in Jesus and died, Actually, they're not saved. They have perished. They believed in, in, a, in a lie. So that's what Paul was, that's Paul's argument. If there was no resurrection, then everything that we believe here is a lie. And we are still perishing and we are still in our sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, here's what he said. If there is no resurrection, we are of all people most to be pitied. We're the most pitiful people on the face of planet Earth if there was no resurrection. Do you see this event, the event of the resurrection, the reality of it is what gives power to the Christian faith. It's what gives us the power to live a new life. That's why we experience the miracle of the second birth. The miracle that Jesus calls being born again in your spirit. Not going to a religion. Being born again. Having that supernatural encounter with Him. That He regenerates our spirits. That He makes us alive in Him. The Bible says we are dead because of our sins. So here, Paul said, if he makes all these arguments, if there was no resurrection. And if there's no resurrection, then why are we wasting our time here? Right? I mean, why would I go halfway across the globe and plant this church if this is all a lie? 
you know, why would some of you drive from San Jose or from Brentwood or from the East Bay, from wherever, drive here at least 40 minutes and be here if it's all a lie? But here's the thing. Here's what Paul said. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's able to say that because he himself encountered the risen Christ. He was, an, he was a witness. Along with the 12 apostles. Along with the f- more than 500 believers whom Jesus, the risen Christ, appeared to. And they are witnesses. That is why if you look at history, I mean, it is to no wonder why would people would give their lives readily for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus. They counted an honor to, be, to suffer for the name of Christ. They counted even an honor if their lives are taken away from them and look, you look at Stephen, he was the first Christian martyr. And when he was being stoned to death, he wasn't begging for his life. He looked up, he saw, you know, the Lord appeared to him. And then he was, he was in heaven, you know, he was there standing by, by, you know, by, by the throne of God and standing while he was being stoned. Jesus gave him a standing ovation for his faith. They love not their lives even unto death. What makes a person do that? And this has been happening for, for over 2,000 years now. You see, a lie cannot stand for long. But this has been going on for 2,000 years. And the message of Christianity is... One of the most dominant messages in the world today. Because it is the truth. So here Paul said, in, but it is in fact that Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. He was referring to Adam. Through Adam all died because of their sin, died spiritually. But through the second Adam, through Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the dead has been made possible. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. And this reality leads actually to the consummation of all things. At the end of all things, Jesus will return. You know, um, and then he will usher in the, the fullness of the kingdom. Today, we are the churches all over the world. We are the signposts of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here on the earth already. And we are the signposts. But at the end of the age, when, the, when our Lord returns, he will usher in the fullness of the kingdom. He will do away with all evil. He will judge all that is wicked. And He will reward those who put their faith in Him. Because He is coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
And so at the consummation, at the end of all things, then comes the end, Paul said, when he, talking about Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, those that are opposed to him. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. And it says here, when all things are subjected to Christ. I read a, I read a verse a while ago during our five-minute prayer for the, for the volunteers. You know, everything that we see, it was, it, Christ is preeminent in all things. He is the one who created all things and He is the one who, you know, um, you know, who holds things together, the whole universe together. He sustains all things by the power of His Word. Of his word. And all things were made by Him and for Him. We are supposed to give Him glory. But what did the world do? What sin has caused the world to rebel against against its maker. Okay? Again, it caused the people to rebel against their maker. So now, when He comes back, He will bring all things back to Him. He will redeem all things. And He will judge the wicked and all evil. And He will put all things under His righteous rule. That's what's going to happen. And then, those who will be resurrected with Him. Along, we will be resurrected with Him. He is the first fruits, meaning He's not the last. Those who put their faith in Him will be resurrected with Him. He will resurrect us to, uh, to eternity. There is also a resurrection of the wicked so that they can be judged. But there is a resurrection of the righteous so that they can receive the rewards their faith so as we wind this down what are the implications of the resurrection okay first the resurrection validated Jesus as the promised savior imagine Jesus said I'm going to die and then on the third day I will rise again he died and on the third day he proved it that what he said was true by rising from the dead so his resurrection validated him as the promised Savior. He was the promised Savior. Acts 2, 22 and 23 says this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, this is Peter preaching. This was his, part of his first sermon. First ever preaching. First ever sermon. After he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, everybody say that, this Jesus. We will see that phrase a couple of times here. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You see, he was delivered to death according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This Jesus died 
according to the plan and purpose of God. He died. You see, salvation is God's initiative, not ours. You can't decide one day, I think I want to be saved. I'll go to victory and I'll be saved. Okay, I think today I'll be born again. Can you make, can you, can you born again me? Some people say that actually. You know, <laughs> I'll make you born again. You know, I cannot make you born again. Only Jesus can do that. You know? I can only preach the gospel to you and if you believe, then Jesus, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, will cause you to be supernaturally born, be born again. Okay? This is, salvation is His initiative, not ours. Secondly, the implication. So, G, His resurrection validated Him as the promised Savior. Secondly, the resurrection validated who Jesus was or who Jesus is. The resurrection validated his identity. And here Peter said this, again going back to that sermon of his, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew Messiah, which was promised to them, the anointed one. But Lord is in reference to, you know, reference the Lord of all. As the king, so he's, he's the king and, and the savior. Okay, then he is also, he's also, you know, of, of divine nature. God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, whom you crucified. He is Lord and He is Christ. Okay? Jesus is who He claims to, who he claimed to be. His resurrection proved it. Thirdly, the resurrection is the basis of our faith. If you say, I have faith in Christ, what is it in Christ that it's His work and because he is alive, I put my faith in him. He saves me. He can save me. So the resurrection is the basis of our faith. My professor in the seminary, you know, the, the semester that just ended, um, said this about the resurrection. The resurrection sums up everything we believe in. It is statement of belief in God in Christ who died for us and in the power of God to raise him and us to be with him in glory. See, all Christian doctrines are hinged not on an idea but on a person. And all truth and doctrine flow from that person. All truth flows from Jesus. Didn't he say that he, he is the way, the truth? In the life. All truth flows from Him. When we talk about doctrine, we're talking about teaching. This is the teaching, okay? And, uh, and um, these, are, these are some of the doctrines that we, 
uh, hold to as every nation. We are part of a move, worldwide movement of churches and ministries called Every Nation. And we've adopted the statement of faith um, from uh, the World Evangelical Alliance. Was, and this was modified last um, June 27th of 2001. So this, we've embraced this as our statement of faith. Okay, so we don't, we don't have time to read that, but you can look this up in our, on our website. Or if you have our church app, go to our church app and go to About, and you'll see, you'll see this. Okay, look for our statement of faith. This is the, what we believe in as, as a ministry. And these are some of these. So we also believe, we've embraced the, and adopted the Nicene Creed and also the Apostles' Creed. So that is our statement of faith. This is what we believe in. Now, because of the resurrection, now let's look at the, the resurrection. The resurrection, what was, what's the effect of the resurrection in, in this system of belief, in, in our statement of faith, in the things that we believe in? Look at this. Because of the resurrection, the, uh, the infallibility of Scripture is affirmed. Infallibility. We believe in the Holy Scripture as God's Word. That it is infallible. It is inerrant. Meaning it can never be wrong. Oh, but there are so many contradictions there in the Bible, you know. So, but, you know, those who don't understand uh, the Spirit of God will not see what the Spirit is saying. Because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And the undiscerning, the unspiritual person cannot, here cannot discern the truth, which is spiritual truth. Okay? But God's word is infallible. This is what we believe. Because Jesus, remember, everything that Jesus did was prophesied in Scripture. And because Jesus resurrected, he proved everything Scripture said, his resurrection affirmed the infallibility of the Word of God. Did you get that? Next. Because of the resurrection, the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is affirmed. Why? Because all throughout the redemption plan of God, we see the activity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay? We don't have time to go through all that. I mean, it's the Holy Trinity is... Is you know the, the concept of the Holy Trinity is so amazing. Okay, next, because of the resurrection, the humanity and divinity of Jesus is made irrefutable, irrefutable. And lastly, salvation. Because of the resurrection, salvation is guaranteed. Why is it guaranteed? Because the one who saved us is alive forevermore. Come on now. He is alive forevermore. And if he's alive, then he can save you. He can, he, can, he can save you. And here, salvation is guaranteed. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. This is Jesus speaking. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. I'd like to, invite the, I'd like to call the, uh, the worship team. We're going to sing one song before we end. As we conclude, the cent again, like I said the central theme of Christianity okay, is not an idea but a person. 
And the essential doctrine of Christianity is hinged on that person. And that, and that is the truth of the resurrection. All other, all other doctrines flow from that reality. Because without the resurrection, everything will be useless. Without the resurrection, everything will be in vain. Without the resurrection, everything will be futile. Your faith will be futile without the resurrection. Amen? The resurrection validates all the other doctrines. The resurrection proves all of the doctrines of God's word. That is where our faith is hinged on. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen? So I'd like to leave you with this. What is the essential doctrine of Christianity? It's the resurrection of Jesus. Singers, please come, come, up, for, come, come up on the stage. We're going to sing, We Stand in Awe of You, because Jesus is amazing. And I'd like to go back to, I'd like to show you um, the main point. Going back to 1 Timothy. Be diligent in all in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Persist. Remain. Continue in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Not that you can save yourself. It's Paul saying here that you are put in a place where you will receive the grace of God that, will save, that saves you. And that will be the testimony for others to follow. Amen? So my, I'd like to leave you with this. A disciple's holy living is hinged, hinged on and grows through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the basis of our faith. Let's all stand. Let's meditate on His goodness right now. Let's meditate on His wonders. He is preeminent. He is above all things. He has the name that is, above, that, that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Jesus Christ is coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is coming back as the one who will bring judgment on, upon, upon all evil and upon the wicked, but also salvation to those who, whom He has made righteous. And we have re are recipients of His gospel, His good news. And because of that, salvation has come upon many of us. And we can't thank Him enough. He is so glorious that we can't... Those of you who have received His salvation... My prayer is that you would not become fa overly familiar with Jesus, that you would lose your sense of awe for Him. That you would lose your sense of, of being, being just caught up in His majesty. Let's sing His praises right now. We stand in awe of You, Lord.
depths of the sea bow before you Stretched out the heavens and set them in place You wonder your glory displayed You wonder your glory displayed You wonder your glory displayed We stand it Yes, Lord, we stand in awe of you, the wonders of your glory, the awesomeness of your majesty. Lord, may, may we be able to say, just like the psalmist said, for better is a day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. When can I be with my God? When can I be in the courts of the Lord? Lord, we desire to be with you. We desire to be captivated by your glory. And Lord, I pray that you would reignite that passion in our hearts. For every believer here, Lord, I pray that you would cause us not to settle in, not to settle for the things of this world. For the things of this world will perish. For the things of this world will pass away. For the things of this world are temporary. Lord, we pray that we would pursue not the things of this world, not the material things, not the accolades of this world. I pray that we would pursue you with all our hearts. And as we do so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to captivate our hearts. Lord, that we may always bring glory and honor to you. That we may declare your wonders. We may declare your glory displayed in our lives and through our lives. That we may declare the greatness of our God. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and that you would enable us to say, Lord, here we are. We are your vessels. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your spirit. Use us as your vessels of righteousness and use us for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would be revealed in and through us. But Lord, that's not going to happen if we are not seeking you, that we're not, if we're not following hard after you, if we're not pursuing you. Let the pursuit of God be the greatest pursuit of our lives. Lord, we desire you, Jesus.
And Lord, we thank you that you conform us to your image more and more. May you continue to be reflected in our lives, that we may reveal you to the world as we stand in awe of you. We give you glory. We give you honor. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As we, before we dismiss, maybe some of you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. You, maybe you need to put your faith in Him. You've heard the gospel today. It's preached to you. The question is, will you receive it? Will you put your faith in Him? He's inviting you. He already did His part by dying on the cross for you. He rose again from the dead. And He's offering you that gift of salvation right now which has benefit for you in this life and for all eternity. Respond to the call of God today. Respond to the call of the Spirit today. Respond to the call of Jesus in your heart today. We will have our Victory Group leaders there. If you're a Victory Group leader, could you stand there and raise your hand so that they'll, they'll know you? There you go. Please approach any of these as we dismiss. And if you need prayer, if you need if you, know, you don't know what to do, what, what are the next steps, they will be more than willing to help you take the next steps in this great journey of faith in Christ. Amen? Let's pray one more prayer as we dismiss. Lord, I pray for your blessing to be upon your people. Lord, as we declare your praises from this place, Lord, and, and all throughout this week, Lord God, may we continually declare your praises and may you continually reveal yourself to us and to the world through us this week. May your name be honored and glorified as we continue to be in awe of you. You are preeminent in our lives, Lord Jesus. Take your place as Lord and King. We give you glory and honor in your most precious name we pray. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise this morning. Praise God. We are dismissed. If you need prayers, please approach any of our Victor Group leaders. They'll be glad to pray for you, okay? God bless you. Have a great week.